This evening we're in Judges chapter 6. We continue our study um, through this book. And uh, we continue to be reminded of of the fact that um, people, God's people, um, are broken people. And as, as we see it illustrated, we see them tend to go back to their old ways time and time again, no matter how much they are blessed. And at the same time, we see a faithful God. Um, who comes alongside, and every time that they cry out to him, he's faithful to come back and uh, deliver them from that oppression that they've been given to because of their disobedience. And so, to me, as I look at Judges, the, this this book, um, I, I know that it's an unfaithful people, but we need to look at a faithful God, the faithful God that we do have. And just to, to keep in mind, he is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever. And so we don't have a God of wrath in the Old Testament and a God of grace in the New Testament. We actually have the same God all the way through. And if we pay attention, we'll see it through and through. All the way from the first verse of Genesis to the last verse of Revelation. So let's pray and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask that you would give us understanding. May your Holy Spirit truly be our teacher and give us understanding that we may not only come to the knowledge of the word, Lord, uh, it's, it's not what we desire. We do not desire just to have head knowledge. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be humble before you. That we would be pliable in the hands of the potter. As you give us understanding, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to apply the word that you would be glorified, that you would be honored in and through our lives. That's what we desire. At least I hope that's what we desire in this place at this time. And so we commit this study into your hands, Father. We ask your blessing. We ask, Lord, that you would have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week... We saw what happens when leaders lead and people freely offer themselves. And this evening, what we're going to see is God raising a mighty man of valor. And so we'll see that work progress and through the life of Gideon. Uh, tonight, we learn about a time when Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they were given over to the Midianites, the Amalekites, and others from the east. And then after they cried out to the Lord, they were provided for. They were provided with a deliverer. They came, he was, his name is Gideon. And he was a man who was raised by God to deliver the people from this oppression that they were given to. But the way in which God raised this man to lead them out of oppression is remarkable. At least I believe it's remarkable. As I, as I see how it worked out, the details of it is, is all, for me, it's, it's quite interesting. And it should be as, again, we take a look at the Old Testament, we look at God's Word. It should always be that. Why is it that God does what He does the way He does it? Beautiful timing. Amazing God's compassion, His long-suffering for us. In how it is that he prepares the man, if the man is willing, to be prepared in such a way that he is used, or the woman is used by God in a beautiful way. 
And so it's remarkable how he raised him. And many lessons await our discovery and understanding as we study these passages of Scripture. So let's, uh, let's see how, the, you know, this is the, God's raising of this mighty man of valor, Gideon. Let's start out in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. We read, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now, even after Sisera had been defeated by the Israelites, by Deborah and Barak, and the people enjoyed 40 years of peace, they went back to doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord and were given into the hand of their enemies, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and those from the east that came with the Midianites and the Amalekites. And so what we need to realize here is that it was evil in the sight of the Lord. In the sight of the world, perhaps they weren't doing evil. They were going along with what everyone else was doing in that country, in in that area. But we need to always keep in mind, what's important is what is evil in the sight of the Lord. So they were oppressed. They were given over to this, this oppression. And they endured it for seven years, as it was described here. And it was after seven years that they finally cried out to the Lord. God is always waiting for us to cry out to Him. You know, for that moment, have you, have you had enough? <laughs> you know, sometimes God gives us to these difficult moments in order for us to come back to Him. We're better off crying out to Him sooner than later. We're, we're better off. I think we need to be reminded of one simple truth and It's a basic principle that is evidence of God's love toward His people. One of the things that we need to understand is experiencing persecution and oppression is not meant to harm God's people. You know, sometimes we think, oh, we're going to get crushed. No, you're not. You're not going to get crushed. If you're the Lord, you shouldn't be given to that way of thinking. Because discipline is meant to train you up. It's meant to correct you, to put you on the right path. It's not meant to crush you. It's not something that the Lord does or allows to happen in your life in order to be mean to you. It's so that you'll be trained up by it. It's not to harm ever God's people, but to bless them through it, which is interesting. We think, well, it's, it's quite painful going through some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, Right? How is it a blessing? Well, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So, in other words, uh, we shouldn't be in shock over the circumstances that we find ourselves in or the testing or the trials that we endure. We should, we should expect them in this life. They come. 
They come and go. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As difficult as it is, brothers, sisters, as difficult as it is to to sometimes handle the heavy, overwhelming situations that we find ourselves in, it serves a purpose. It's supposed to refine us, strengthen us, forge us in such a way that we reflect God's glory a little better. It's not supposed to embitter us. It's not supposed to cause us to harden our hearts. If we're not ignorant of the word, then we should understand that we are to submit surrender in those situations, to allow God to do a work in our lives that we would more closely resemble our Lord, right? There should be a gentle spirit about us as we go through difficult circumstances. In fact, we know that God honors those who are meek, and humble. Those who are seeking peace. Those who are seeking to restore and reconcile. That's who he honors. But those things sometimes are learned only through difficult circumstances. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 speaks of God's discipline as being an act of love toward his children. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It is conditional because it yields later the peaceful fruit of righteousness, this, this is the condition, to those who have been trained by it. In other words, there can be those who go through that discipline and are never trained by it. They never learn. And you know, if you don't get it right the first time in the ninth grade, guess what you have to do? Well, no, they pass you on anyway. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. No, you have to repeat it. You have to repeat it. And and here's a, a, a a good God and what he'll do. He'll have you repeat it. Let's, let's do it again. It's not because God hates you. It's because God wants you to get it right. Get it right. How the Israelites were oppressed, I, I found very interesting. You see, the Midianites didn't take them into slavery, nor did they occupy their land. They didn't do any of those. They didn't take them into slavery. They didn't occupy their land, at least not for an extended period of time. They didn't take it away from them. The Midianites, Amalekites, and the other peoples of the East would wait until their crops were ready for the harvesting. Oh, this is amazing, right? They would wait. Oh, look, there's, uh, there's their fields. Uh, they look beautiful, don't they? Let's just wait because they're not ready for the harvest. They would look at all their livestock. Oh, they're not just, they're not quite just ready for us to go in and take those either. 
But as soon as it was all ready, they would swoop in and they would take it all. And as soon as they replanted and their livestock grew, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the others would swoop in again and take it, take it again. For seven years this went on. Their crops, ready for the harvest. The Israelites were looking into the hills because here they come. Now, it's, it's interesting because we were in Israel and we saw all kinds of caves, like big caves all over the country. And these verses came to mind. These were the very caves that they would go into and hide from the Amalekites, the Midianites, and all these people. As soon as they came in, like locusts with their camels, and they, they would come and devour the land. The Israelites were up in the hills hiding. And we can see there, there are caves that are big enough for entire families to go in and find safety. They would do this time and time again for seven years. But remember, it was the Lord that allowed this because of their sin. Doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord is what we read. This is how they were allowed to be oppressed by the enemy. And God gave them over to this. All their hard work was taken by someone else. Remember that sin will always rob you of your blessings. Will always do that. You know, just when you, man, you've got a great crop. You've produced much fruit. It doesn't take much rebellious, uh, rebelliousness on our part to cause all of that to go down the tube. Sin will always rob you of, of that. It'll take it right away, right out from under you. We should always remember that and steer away. We should always look for that way out because God provides the way out every time. Temptation comes, find the way out. Take that route. The whole land was ravaged by the Midianites and the others. And then after they were brought, we see there in verse uh, 6, after they were brought very low, it's like there's, there's, no, no, there's not much lower that we can go. That's when the people finally, after seven years of having this happen to them, they finally cried out to the Lord. And then verse 7, as we continue, the Lord sent them a prophet. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So they cried out because of what was happening to them. And God sent them, sent, sent them this unnamed prophet to deliver them a very basic but true message that should have been obvious to them. Very obvious, right? Sometimes it's like, so you sent, God sends us people to tell us sometimes things that we should already know. It's just obvious. When you hear these things, sometimes there's this, there's this veil over our eyes. Why? Because that's what sin does. But the moment we genuinely desire to bless the Lord, and we want to hear the truth, we're humble before Him, 
He sends somebody our way. It seems like, wow, what timing? No, he's probably sent several people your way. You just haven't listened to him. And he tells you something that is very obvious. They cried out and he sent this prophet to deliver this message. And he told them that they had not acknowledged the deliverer. They hadn't honored the Lord who gave them the promised land, who had removed everyone from before them. They hadn't honored the Lord by obeying him, although they swore to do so. They promised, they swore. They said, everything that you say, we will do. Think about it. Is what this prophet was telling them to do or what what this prophet was telling them to do could be the very same thing that perhaps we've cried out to the Lord with or about. Just something very obvious. The reason why we're crying out is not, not because, Lord, search my heart, but, Lord, I'm... Like, I'm overwhelmed. This is, this is all too much for me. It's just the predicament that we're in. And then come to realize that it's because of our own rejection of the one who had delivered us previously from other situations and primarily from being condemned eternally and delivered to a new life in Jesus Christ. And then we forget all about them. Sometimes it's the obvious things that we can reject and fail to recognize in our own lives and fail to confess. And here comes someone. As we're crying out, someone is sent telling us, it's because of you, dummy. (laughs) It's because of what you've been doing. Confess. Repent. Turn to God. He's waiting for you. Even though they cried out, they failed to repent, though. And and that's what we see here. They were just overwhelmed with the consequences of their evil acts. They prayed nonetheless, and God heard. that's, That's what's awesome. That's where they were at. They were crying and saying, I am sorry for the things that I'm experiencing at this time. But they were crying out, and they were asking that they'd be delivered. That's something that we ought to pray for. Please deliver me. I, I, I don't want to continue going down this path. I want to be delivered from what I've been given to and even given myself to. So the first thing he did, the Lord did, was he sent them a prophet to tell them why they were experiencing what they were experiencing. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see... If there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now that's a great cry that we ought to shout to the Lord. We ought to do this often, if not daily. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Reveal to me, just show me. What is it? I will confess it to you. Let me repent of what you bring to my understanding that you reveal to me. So 
the Lord sent this prophet to remind them of the power of God and be encouraged by what he's done in the past also. This is why. But just a reminder, he's delivered you from all this. And he went before you. He's with you. He's the one. He was a hornet that, that uh, took care of everyone before you in the promised land. Just a, a reminder. This is the God who is with you even now and who you have rejected. You see, God is the same again yesterday, today, and forever, and He is long-suffering. Oh, thank you, God, for being long-suffering, for being patient. And when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, is what 1 John 1, nine says. He embraces us when we genuinely run back to Him whenever we do. Whenever we do. And so that's what we see with Israel. Now let's see what happens. Verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I'm going to stop there. This is the introduction of the angel of the Lord as he came and spoke with Gideon, uh, the reference to the angel of the Lord is a reference to Christ. It's a theophany. Twice he is referred to as the Lord. That's why it's pretty obvious that it is the Lord, because he was referred to as the Lord in verses 14 and 16. If you just continue on, there's no question about it. This is exactly who we have in these passages. Of course, this was Jesus pre-incarnate, and he appeared to Gideon. Now, this is a picture of a man who's doing everything possible to make sure the enemy does not take the wheat. They harvested like times past. This has been going on time and time again. It keeps happening. And and so instead of threshing the wheat on the top of a hill, he's threshing the wheat in this wine press, in secret, in a low place. That's where he's doing it. But the Lord meets him there. It's interesting because the Lord sat and he, he watched him. He watched Gideon. And then he came to him in the following verse. And he confronted Gideon. He spoke with him. Now what Gideon was doing, of not threshing the wheat on the hilltop, but in the low part, in hiding, it, it was, um, for the Israelites, this would be a humiliating act having to do this in secret, in hiding. At the same time, Gideon was not sitting on his hands complaining about the oppressive circumstances, but was found working by the Lord with what he had. I love that. It's like, you know what? This is what we have. This is what's been happening. I'm going to do what I can. And so at least he's threshing the wheat. He's doing some work. Sometimes we can find ourselves in difficult circumstances and all we do is complain. We murmur, oh, our hearts get hardened. Instead, we ought to be faithful to the Lord and continue with the work with whatever he has given to us at the moment. You know, you know the saying, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? What are you going to do with it? I I love it. Um, I saw a license plate today. Um... And uh, it was on a beautiful car. And, um, you know, you try and figure out these license plate 
personalized ones, and it says never give up. Never give up. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, every year I, I come up with personally, um, you know, these things that, um, that I, I want to apply to my life, to bless the Lord and, and reflect Him to others a little bit more. And that's one of those things that one year, I think it was a, a couple of years ago, I wonder what would happen if I just, I never gave up. I, I just didn't quit. You know, whatever it is that I gave myself to, I, I just didn't quit. I saw it through, no matter how hard it would get. I just wouldn't give up. You know, a lot can happen when you just learn to not give up, not quit. No matter what comes, you just don't give up. And I see this in the spirit of Gideon, just this man who just, come what may, it doesn't matter. You know what, I'm in this wine press, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of my father's crop. I'm doing what I can with what I have. He was a man who was not willing to give up. And so the Lord addressed Gideon. He came to Gideon as, and he addressed him as a mighty man of valor. Gideon at this point seemed far from being a mighty man of valor. You know, from the, out, from the outside looking in, you see this. He's hiding. He's doing this in secret. You would think that a mighty man of valor would be on the top of a hill looking at the Amalekites and the Midianites and all the others and like, try and get this. You know, come on up. Uh, sometimes that's not valor, that's stupidity, right? What I mean by that is that the Lord has also given us a mind to use, to think. You know, we don't give ourselves to trouble and say, well, that, that was courageous. Sometimes it's not courageous, right? To come across as, as being tough and being invincible, well, no. The Lord is invincible. We're uh, quite, um, what would you say? Flesh and blood, frail, yeah, fragile. We're, we're actually quite, quite fragile. We are as people. Sometimes it doesn't take much. But listen, the Lord has given us a mind and, and we are to use it. Valor is doing something in such a way that in spite of our circumstances, we find a way to do it. And so here's this man, and the Lord addresses him as a mighty man of valor. This was no ordinary, actually this was an ordinary man, but was, we were going to see God do extraordinary things through him. He was an ordinary man doing the best he could, just like David when he was tending to his father's flocks. Can you imagine, okay, here's this little ruddy kid. Uh, the rest of the kids come out, you know, Jethro, or um, no, not Jethro, what was his dad's name? What's that? No, David. King David. Jethro, I'm th- I was thinking about Moses. Oh, my goodness. I will, okay. There's that moment. I cannot b- believe you don't know. Oh. Hmm? Jesse, yes, thank you. The root of Jesse, yes, thank you. So, Jesse, he's bringing out his sons, right? And surely it's him. No, it's not him. No. Um, man looks at the outward, the appearance. God looks at the heart. And so we know that it was asked, you know, do you have another son? Yes, he's out in the field tending. Can you imagine David coming in? 
little kid. He was shepherding the flock. An ordinary man, used extraordinarily by the Lord. What was Moses doing? Now, his father-in-law was Jethro. What was he doing for his father-in-law? He was tending to his flock, right? His sheep, when he was, when he was called by the Lord. Joseph was simply following his father's instructions to check on his brothers. What about the apostles? Think about them. Hey, we're just fishing. Come follow me. Tax collectors. Oh, despised. They were also doing the best they could when they were called by the Lord. And they did the best they could. But they were filled with the Spirit and they were used extraordinarily by an extraordinary God. And these were just ordinary men. And here Gideon is, an ordinary man, being called by God, a a mighty man of valor. For you, when God calls you, he desires that you trust him to be able to do a mighty work through a willing vessel. Gideon was a mighty man of valor in the eyes of the Lord because he knew that if Gideon was willing, God was able. That's what we all always should remember. If we are willing, God is able and he desires to do and use us in ways that bring him glory. Gideon's response, well, it was humble, I believe, perhaps with a hint of doubt. And we'll see why. Verse 13 says, And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So, something very important for us to always remember. Gideon, as he tell, or as the Lord tells Gideon, uh, he tells him, Hey, listen, the Lord is with you. The, the Lord is with you, through and through. He tells us, through his word, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. He doesn't turn his back on us. Even though it may feel like he turns his back on us, he never will. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us as orphans. But Gideon inquired as to, okay, so why all of this happening to us if the Lord is really with us? Seems like a common question among among us who experience such things, right? It's a common question. It It's a normal question. If the Lord is with me, then why is all this happening to me? I I don't get it. And why he asked that question was because he knows as we do. Just like the world. The world sometimes, they, they think this way too. And they know. If the Lord is with you, why is all this happening to you? Why do you ask that question? Could it be because you know that if God's favor and protection was with us, then nothing could touch us? 
because no one is a match for him? Think about that. Why, why does the world have such a hard time? Why, why are they accusing? Why are they uh, pointing things out? Is it perhaps because they know that if, if God is truly with us, if, he's, if he has his hedge of protection about us as he chooses, then there's no way that anything can touch us. He asks, where are his miracles? I know he's capable of these miracles, or else I wouldn't be asking, where are his miracles? I've heard from our father's past that he had delivered previous generations not only from the Egyptians, but cleared the way for them in the promised land. Where are these miracles? Gideon is thinking that perhaps God had forsaken them, turned his back on them, and gone away. Might I remind you who is before him at this moment? That's the Lord. The Lord is speaking to him. In fact, he had sent a prophet to him to remind Gideon of all of these things that the Lord had done for them. How many people have mistakenly thought the same thing because of their lack of knowledge of who God is? That's why it's important to go through the Word of God and understand God's character, understand His Word, and know that even through difficult circumstances, there's something that the Lord is doing. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 When he says he will never forsake, he will never forsake. He is there always. We need to trust Him even more when our circumstances are not favorable and pleasant. And know that He is our sufficiency and He is able to deliver us once more. And has eternally through his son. And that is enough. And that's, that's what we always need to be reminded of. That, that the, the main deliverance is from condemnation. As we know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that should be enough. Everything else is just icing on the cake until we go home to be with him. But knowing that he is faithful to get us through those difficult times, it, it's... It proves us, it matures us, it grows us, it refines us. It more, in, in better ways, glorifies him. I love how the Lord responded to Gideon. Um, it seemed like he, in some way, ignored the questions and simply told him to go in, his, in this might of his and save Israel. And he says, do not I send you. Oh, Gideon, consider who is sending you. The Lord does not send out in order for the one sent to know defeat, but victory. He's, he's sending Gideon out not for, oh, I, I want to send you out against 135,000 of the enemy to know defeat him. No, he, he's not, he didn't choose him for that. Gideon said, but I'm weak. And God said, I know you are. But I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. Because he didn't, he didn't tell him anything. He didn't respond to that. Some things God will not respond. He just reminds us. I'm with you. Is that enough? Is that okay? Who else do you want on your side? Am I not enough? 
Sometimes we're looking for so much more. It's like, well, I, I, just, I just want more. Well, what, what more do you want? Sometimes we have the answers right before us, and, and we're looking for, for some, someone else. You know, let me look for another book. No, we have the book right in front of us. The answers are right there. Gideon said, I'm, I'm weak. We need to acknowledge we, we are weak, absolutely, but God is with us. Just as he said to Gideon, I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. In other words, you will strike them united and forcefully with one blow. Gideon was humble, and he knew that God had done great things in the past. And Gideon knew that he had nothing to offer. But the Lord reassured Gideon that he was going with him, and that, vict- and that victory awaited him. And, and so that's what I'm, I'm trying to show you also that Here's God raising up this mighty man of valor. Was Gideon already a mighty man of valor in in the wine press, threshing wheat? No, the Lord was working on him, right? He sent the prophet to tell the Israelites of what they were doing wrong. And then the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and was speaking to him. Kind of ignoring some things that Gideon was saying and just encouraging him. I'm with you. I'm here. I'm sending you out to no victory, and it awaits you. Verse 17. And he said to, to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak, who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Verse 19. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizorites. So Gideon was asking for a sign. This is one of three signs that the Lord will show him, by the way. Uh, In other words, another way that we can say this is that, that Gideon was asking for confirmation. It had nothing to do with the law. He wasn't asking for clarification on God's word. Uh, It wasn't to express the Lord's love for him or any doctrinal issue, but rather an act, a direction that Gideon wanted confirmation about. And so the Lord agreed to wait for Gideon to bring out offerings and then commanded him to place them on the rock along with the pouring out of the broth on them and... Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. 
fear. Fear struck Gideon. It was just a moment of, of awe. But Gideon had to put it all together. At this point, as perhaps he thought about his conversation with the Lord, all the way through, and at this point, this point, he referred to him as the last, O Lord God. Any doubt of who he is, who's before him? He didn't tell him, no, do not refer to me as Lord. Do not refer to me as God. That is blasphemous. No, he didn't reject that. He didn't reject his worship. He didn't reject his offering. None of that. He received it all. And what overwhelmed Gideon, this response was, he was filled with awe and he worshiped the Lord. Gideon went from also being terrified, being amazed, to realizing that God was not going to kill him. Oh, thank you, Lord. You're not going to take my life. And he thought at that moment, otherwise the Lord would not have told him that you're not going to die, Gideon. He thought he was going to die. And at that point, he worshiped the Lord, being at peace. And as God continued to prepare this man, he was, remember, he's, he's bringing him to this place of sending him off into battle. He's preparing the warrior. That's what he's doing. It's when we're at peace with the Lord that we can then clearly go out in his name and engage the enemy because the Lord is with us and we know we go in his power, not ours. You know, if, if we go with kind of like not, not understanding who God is and man, we go out much like Peter in the garden, just, just swinging that little pocket knife and, and perhaps knocking a, a an ear off, but the Lord wants to give us understanding, understanding we go in His power. And it's, it's pretty cool because when strength is used properly, it can be the gentlest thing. It can carry great weight and be gentle. A great, I, I think a, an example of this is, is someone with, with great strength can open something with gentleness. Someone with, with a small amount of strength has to put everything they have into it and cannot restrain themselves when it finally starts turning. Uh, you can test that out with perhaps a, a jar. A man will open up a jar and not spill its contents. A small child, give it to him, oh, he'll open it. <laughs> but you'll find the pickle juice and the pickles on the floor. Because there's a lack of strength. We go in his power. But we go in his power. And we understand how to battle. When we're at peace with him. And when we know him very well. We go in his power. We don't have to win everything. We, know we go in his victory. We, don't, we have to, don't have to argue with everyone. And be right. We just want to reflect him. He's the one with the power. We're not. So the raising of a mighty man of valor is what we see. This this process continues. Verse, verse 25 as we continue. Verse 25 says, 
That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in, in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. But he did it. That same night, the Lord told Gideon, go tear down all of your father's idols. And and I'll kind of just summarize it. He, He told him, take down all of your father's idols, everything. And build an altar and sacrifice the second bull to the Lord with the wood that you had cut down from tearing down the Asherah pole. Use that wood. It was a cleansing. It was an act of restoration. And, and it was an act of worship with consecration unto the Lord. That which was once used to worship idols. Now the Lord is making it very clear that they're worth nothing. It's just wood. Use it to sacrifice to the one true living God. The Lord was calling Gideon to get his house, his house in order. And even though he was afraid to do it in the daytime when everyone could see, uh, he, he had to know that, the, that everyone would at some point eventually know, right? He did it at night. At the same time, What we see here is that those who would oppose Gideon weren't given an opportunity to do it in that very time that he was tearing everything down. So it all took place. Everything came down, and they weren't too happy about it. Verse 28 is the response. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asher beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god... Let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. So it wasn't a good nickname that they gave him. So this didn't go well, obviously. Didn't go over well with, with all the people who worshipped Baal. By the way, they worshipped this false god alongside with Yahweh. Shouldn't be, right? The Lord and no other. Uh, We can replace Baal with anything and everything else. The Lord himself, we ought to worship the Lord. No one else, nothing else beside him. But this is what their practice was. Uh, Baal, Asherah, um, Yahweh. Hey, it's all good, right? No, it, it's not all good. There were men who called for the life of Gideon 
And remember that the Lord was the one that told him to go. Go take all those idols down. Destroy them. Do this and sacrifice unto me. Worship me. So these men who learned that it was Gideon uh, called for his life. But his father stood for him and challenged the men and asked them why they would contend for Baal. Why do you contend for your God? Are you going to save him? You think you can save your God? And he challenged them to allow Baal to contend for himself if he is really a God. The uprising came to a halt and no one touched Gideon. And then Gideon was given a nickname, Jerubal. Let Baal contend against him, is what they were saying. With this name, they gave him this nickname. Oh, let Baal contend against him. So they were, they were hoping that Baal would take care of Gideon. But that, of course, wasn't the case because Baal wasn't even of God or a God, right? He was an idol. It's a piece of metal, piece of wood. Has no ears to hear. Has no eyes that can see. Has no mouth that can speak. Can't feel. Can't touch. Can't smell. It's not living. In fact, it's a created inanimate object that has no power whatsoever. It certainly can't come against Gideon, who was the Lord's, and was being used to do something. What nicknames could we be given? I thought about this. What, what nicknames could be given by our, uh, to us by our adversaries? That would be interesting if we think about it, right? What if you ask others, what nicknames, <laughs> what nicknames would I be given? Right? If I were to ask, I think that would be, don't, I'm not asking, okay? <laughs> but really, we could... Uh, we should think this way. As with Gideon, I could care less. Because my only concern is whether I'm being faithful to God or not. That's it. So verse 33. Let's continue so we can wrap up here. So verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon or came upon Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet, meet them. So Gideon moves on and gathers an army as the enemy came from the east and encamped against Israel in preparation for another raid on their harvest and livestock. So they were getting ready to do it again. Notice that it, it was when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, or clothed him, that he sounded the trumpet and he marched. He marched. And, and as he marched, he sent messengers before him to all these various tribes that were listed. And they all went up to meet with him. A lot of men. Gideon did not wait for them, but called them as he marched. So the Spirit of God came upon him. In other words, he was empowered. And it was at that point that he blew the trumpet, it's time to go. And as he marched, he didn't wait for anyone else. Um, you guys remember Barak? 
Brock said, I will not go unless you, Deborah, go with me. Oh, but a girl's going to get all the glory. That's okay. I won't go. No. Gideon, Gideon didn't take that route. Gideon, spirit came upon him. He blew the trumpet, marched, and then he sent messengers. He was just a man who... You will rarely find a man with greater courage and um, willing, a willingness to move like Gideon. So Gideon didn't wait. He just marched, and then he called. A faithful warrior of God does not ask how many are with the enemy or how large they are, but only where they are, because he knows that the Lord is with him, and their number and size is of no concern. Oh, fear. Oh, fear paralyzes people. Paralyzes. Oh, how big is that which is before me? How many are before me? With the Lord, we shouldn't be asking that. If the Lord is calling us to do something, we should just simply be faithful in doing it. God is with us. Remember that. In fact, Psalm 27, 1 through 3, I wanted to read this. It says, this is a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. How many gathered together? As Gideon called, 32,000 men. The enemy? You guys know how many? 135,000. Still a small number in comparison to the enemy. But remember, Gideon was already marching. Come. I'm already going in that direction. Come, 32,000. So let's close up. Verse 36. It says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the, on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early, uh, next morning and squeeze the fleece he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water then Gideon said to God let not your anger burn against me let me speak just once more <laughs> uh, please let me test just once more with the fleece please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew and God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. So, even though the Spirit of the Lord had come upon Gideon, and even though the Lord had performed a miracle by receiving the offering of Gideon, by having fire rise up from the rock and consume it, and even though 32,000 men gathered in a short period of time to fight, Gideon wanted some more confirmation from God that God would save Israel by his hand. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm going to you know, lay the fleece out? Yeah, and that's, this is where it comes from. Gideon. First, hey, listen, if the, if the fleece is wet, but the, dry is, uh, the, the ground is dry, uh, I know that it's you who, who is sending me. Oh, he did it. Um, don't get upset. I'm going to ask you one more time. 
Can you please let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet? God did that too. God is patient. He provided that confirmation. Even if Gideon displayed a weak faith. The command was clear, but Gideon's faith was weak. That is abundantly clear. How many times did God tell him, go, I'm with you? Right? Oh, just I want to know that it's you who's speaking to me. Okay. I'll wait here for you. Go ahead and bring your offerings. And then he sees what took place, and then the Lord vanished. Remember, awe overwhelmed him. He was filled with fear. He worshiped the Lord. Oh, you are my peace. What happened, Gideon? Now you're asking for more confirmation? The Spirit came upon you. He lacked a mature understanding of God and his commands. Gideon had to tune his ear to understand when it was God who was calling and speaking to him. And he kept asking, perhaps one more time, speak to me one more time. And the Lord went ahead and he spoke to him one more time. He, He confirmed. Just because God did not show displeasure for Gideon having asked for further confirmation does not mean that we should all ask for these types of confirmations. It's... It really worries me. It doesn't worry me. It does concern me. When people are constantly looking for, this is what we call them. It's not fleece. You know what we call them? In Christianese? Open doors. Open door. I'm just looking for that open door. Let me give you an example of someone who was also asking for confirmation because it didn't go the same way both times, okay? In Luke 1, Zechariah was someone's dad. It's John the Baptist. When he asked, what happened to him? He became mute, right? And he wasn't able to speak until... He said, this is, this is John, right? And he, and he praised the Lord. Also, please note, it was clear from the first miracle that it was the Lord who was commanding him, no? Right? And he acknowledged it by the worship that he offered to the Lord. And when he asked for the second sign, Gideon didn't accept it. Remember that, the second sign being the first, you know, may the fleece be wet and the ground dry, well, he said, if, if you do show me this, then I will know that it's you who's sending me to save these people. So he didn't follow through with his word. He asked for another confirmation, and he gave it to him. Just know, just know okay, that, and this is how we can sometimes be fooled, church, all right? If we continually ask for an open door, knowing that yeah, that's not the Lord's will. We just want our own way. Guess who's going to open that door for you? We need to see God's grace and patience at work here with Gideon. But it shouldn't serve as justification for our own sign-seeking. If you don't show me a sign type of demands from God, 
Because remember that in the last days there will be sign seekers. Too many sign seekers. Oh, these, oh, this number, this season, this, that. And it's like, what are you talking about? Just go to the word. Just live humbly before the Lord. Right? Look around you. What is it that's necessary within the body? Serve in that way. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Quit looking for signs. The only signs that you should be looking for are the signs of the end times. We're in them. Just read. We're in those times that are (laughs) getting really difficult. Persecution is coming. So in the last days there will be sign seekers in abundance, and they can be easily fooled by the enemy because even Satan, and this is what I, I was getting to, can disguise himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He will deceive many in the last days. He will cause many to fall away. But it begins by this sign seeking now. I, I, I want an open door here, and I want an open do- door there. It's no different than this fleece. Now, with that said, okay, and I do want to say this, because this is, this is what we have here. That's why I gave you Zechariah also, because not, not every single one is the same. And, and we should really obey the Lord. That's really what it comes down to, right? We started out this chapter with the fact that uh, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it was because they were disobedient to the Lord. Two times earlier, Gideon had already been told it was the Lord. And yet he was still following down this path. But the Lord was patient with him. And listen, here's the good news. He's patient with you as he is with me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Because with all of the said, Gideon's faith may have been weak. But how does it compare to the faith that you demonstrate? Because Gideon is listed in Hebrews 11.32 as being a man of faith. So even in his imperfect faith, he was used mightily by God. Remember, God was raising a mighty man of valor. And in this work, God is always patient and will faithfully lead us in ways that increase our faith in him to act in ways that glorify him. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that even in our imperfect faith, you can use such a vessel. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us, Lord, to oh, Lord, uh, be given to simply following you, being obedient to you, because your word tells us that um, we demonstrate our love toward you by being obedient to the commandments that we have in, in your word. And so I, I just ask, Father, that you would help us to be, uh, even though Gideon was, was faltering in, in some areas, Lord, he certainly was a man who was given um, to being used by you, who was willing. He was a willing vessel. I pray, Lord, that we would have that type of tenacity to, Lord, to Lord move when you call us to move and to do something and to be a blessing to others and glorifying to you. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.